It is in the name of our Savior and that fount of grace that we gathered this morning uh, to reflect on God's word and to be called out of a life of sin, following and trusting in the mercy and compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to put some words before you that Pastor Brad read just a little while ago from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, right here in chapter 8, verse 31. He, namely Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. After three days, rise again. He said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And if you were paying attention to the rest of the story, you know what Jesus' response was. He basically, with a harsh and very direct and pointed correction, says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Jesus was not taking what Peter did lightly. But he also, in, in a loving way, as he sees the disciples that are nearby in a crowd gathering, he uses this exchange between he and Peter as a teaching moment for them that were gathered there, but also for you and for me. And what I'm going to do over the next time together is, is kind of give a perspective of what was going on in Peter's life and in that culture, and then using that to communicate the lessons that we can take away from our time together today. So let me give you a little perspective about Peter and the disciples. A lot of the times when we describe them, we use phrases that go something like this. They were uneducated fishermen, uh, throw in some not-so-popular types like a tax collector or a zealot or even a thief who was Judas Iscariot. And in their culture, none of those groups of people were considered anything. They were considered nobodies. But I don't think that's a fair assessment for you and for me to hold because we have the beauty of being able to see through the pages of Scripture uh, just who these folks are. Right? And, and some of their character and qualities and their traits, and, and they come to life. Take Peter, for example. He was a very accomplished fisherman. Uh, he was, in the scriptures, he emerges as a leader. He's one that was not afraid to speak his mind. And the way he went about life is he was, he was willing to jump in with both feet. Right? And he did that literally twice in the scriptures. One time as he sees Jesus walking on the water, and he wants to do the same thing, so he jumps in the water to walk on it. But he takes his eyes off of Christ and he starts to fail and fall. And then after Jesus had been crucified and he was risen from the dead and he's standing on the seashore calling out to those who were in the boat, Peter was there, he and John have this conversation and recognize it's, Pete, it's Jesus standing there and so Jesus, Peter jumps right back in the water before the boat gets to shore. He's all in for Christ. All in. Another perspective that we don't often hear about, though, is that Peter and Jesus, they were friends. You see, for whatever reason, Jesus had three of the disciples and he seemed to pour into them, at least the way it goes in the scriptures, a little bit more. Uh, you have Peter and James and John and he takes them with him on a number of different locations with him. And, and so there's this friendship there. So there's respect for Jesus as a rabbi. There's respect for Jesus as teacher. But, but Peter is also considering Jesus a friend. And when a friend is doing something that you don't necessarily think is right, you, you don't tell them what they want to hear. You tell them what they need to hear, right? That's what friends do. But friendship or not, 
Jesus was not having anything that Peter was doing here. And his response was correct and direct. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you have, you're not setting your things on the minds of God, but on the things of men. Peter was in the wrong. And Jesus called him out. Jesus called him Satan, evil personified. Basically was telling him that his line of thinking was going down a wrong path. And I'm going to help unpack that just a, a little bit. But for all intensive purposes, if you or I were growing up in Peter's day and age and following the traditions that Peter was growing up in, the Jewish tradition, we would probably have made the same mistake. Let me help you understand that. They, they believe in the Messiah, the one who is going to be a descendant of the King of David. The Messiah is also going to gain sovereignty over the land of Israel. He's going to gather Jews from the four corners of the earth and bring them back to him. And he's going to restore the people to following the Torah or their law. But here's the grand finale. The Messiah is going to usher in world peace and bring prosperity for the people of God. And actually, what they do is they use the pages of Scripture to say, listen, it can't be the Messiah that Jesus is because we don't have world peace yet. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 where it talks about beating swords and plowshares into nothingness and learning war no more. So we still have war. So how is it that the Messiah came? You know what's actually taking place there? The devil speaking into the ears of a tradition and saying, yeah, and just twisting it just a little bit. Because Jesus does come to bring peace. Jesus came peace and reconciliation with God our Father. He says, peace I've come to bring, but not as the world brings peace. Right? That's what Jesus does. And so the devil is basically kind of dangling this thinking in front of the people that were gathered there. And that's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because their minds were on things that they didn't understand or things that were of men and the traditions of men and not of God. So this exchange that Peter and, and Jesus have, Jesus uses as a teaching moment. He says, listen, the Messiah is here and I want you to follow me. Not only do I want you to follow me, but I want you to take up your cross and, and follow me. Now, for you and for me in, in 2021, when we hear this idea of, of taking up our cross, we tend to think of, all right, life is hard, and, and so we just need to bear up because Jesus is with us and he's promised to see us through. And so we, 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 we just bear under life's pressures, right? But that's not what the people were hearing in his day. They were living it. They saw on a regular basis people picking up a beam, literally, and being marched under Roman guard to their death. They were criminals. They were rebels. They were people who tried to take a stand against Rome, and Rome would use crucifixion. They would use the cross to keep people they occupied in line. So when Jesus is saying, take up your cross, their minds went to that, that instrument of torture. And they were understanding Jesus to say, follow me, but it may cost you your life. But Jesus also says, don't be afraid of losing your earthly life. He came to bring salvation for our souls. Don't be ashamed of me, he says, right? Right? 
So what does that mean for you and for me today? Well, guess what? Christ calls us out of a life of sin also and and getting our minds off of worldly things and, and into the things of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we we truly fail to live as though Jesus is our king. Oh, we say it, but the way we live our life doesn't show his complete sovereignty over everything that we are. We want to fit God into a box, a God that we're comfortable with, right? We want a God who loves us and accepts us for who we are. Doesn't try and change us, but just loves us. Because after all, he made us that way. We want a God who answers our prayers the way we pray them. We want a God who fits into our mold, a, a caring God. We want a God who's okay with the choices that we make and even gives us the desires of our heart. We don't treat him like a, a king. We don't treat him like a lord. What we do and what we're doing is treating him like a tour guide or a hospitality host or a concierge service that, that wants to make sure your journey and your, your visit is filled with good things. Basically, God is, exists for our happiness is the way we, we treat him. And, and we even have uh, uh, this tenant that we grew up with, right? In our nation, the pursuit of happiness. And that in and of itself is not a sin, but... We use it for a license to do anything we want. Yeah, then we're sinning. Let me give you an example. We sometimes equate happiness with fun. We want a fun life. We want a fun set of children. We want a fun marriage. We want a fun job. We want a fun church. We want a fun Jesus. But when it stops getting to be fun, when we get bored, we start to look elsewhere. And sometimes when we're being called sinners, we don't like to hear that, we start to look elsewhere. And what we're doing is we're playing right into the devil's deadly schemes where he takes and twists things, right? And he hangs it out there for us. And our sinful nature craves it. And Jesus warns us against it. He says, what good is it for you to gain the whole world if you're going to forfeit your soul? Folks, we don't need a Jesus who came to bring peace and prosperity to God's people. We don't need a Jesus to give us every whim and desire of our heart. We need the one who is willing to go to the cross and be crucified and lay down his life for us. We need the one who's going to snatch us out of the devil's clutches, right? We need one who is going to call us out of a life of sin. We need the one who's going to deliver us from the sentence of death that our sinful nature brings upon us. And he came. He's the one who in every way was tempted as we are, but did not sin. He's the one who would not let worldly distractions take him off of a path towards reconciling the world back to a creator. He's the one who from his throne, that throne of grace, poured out mercy and compassion for you and for me. And he calls us out to live a life for him. And that's what we get to do. So so what does this mean for us? Everything we do, Lord, am I glorifying you? These thoughts, these words, these deeds, does it give you glory? That's what we live for, to know him and to make him known. 
and to show how beautiful it is to live with Jesus. That's what we get to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we do, when we do that work, we'll know true happiness, true joy, true peace, true contentment. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and lives in Christ Jesus. Amen.